you have your copy of the scriptures with you, if you have your Bible, open it to Romans chapter 5. We're going to the text that Sharon read this morning is the text that we're focusing our attention on this morning. This fourth Sunday of Advent is the focus or the the time that we set our attention upon the love of God. And I know of no other passage of scripture that more fully describes and celebrates the amazing love that God has for us than this passage of scripture. As I've studied it and as I've prayed through it, it's been a, I'm aware of my own inability to convey adequately, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will, through God's word, convey the depth of God's love toward us at this Christmas time. It is Christmas season. Have you watched any Hallmark movies about Christmas? Hallmark love movies? I, I did a little research, and uh, I, there are 39 Hallmark Christmas movies. Actually, there's one that's 39 times. But there are 39 different titles, 39 different Hallmark Christmas movies this season. And it would be 40, except one of them is set in a Jewish family. And so it's a Hallmark Hanukkah movie that uh, that they're celebrating. And again, it's kind of a, a lovey-dovey season. It's the time when we think much about love as families gather and as families come together. But I believe that God would have us to understand a little bit more about what true love is, what his love is, what the depth of his love is. At Christmas season, of course, we remember the prophecy, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The words of Isaiah resound on this Christmas season, proclaiming God's attributes in the birth of his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the long-awaited one. We see God's wisdom, his might. We see his eternality. His relationship to us as Father, the peace that we have with Him. He is our King, the justice that He has, the righteousness, our Savior, the power and glory displayed in His birth. And over all of these, encompassing all of these, we see the love of God. So will you join me for a word of prayer? (coughs) Father, thank you for your declaration of love toward us in the death of your Son on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. Father, I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, but just for this little while, these few moments right now, you will help explain and unfold in our minds and our hearts the depth and the height, the width the strength, the vastness of your love toward us displayed through what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, the the coming of Christ as a child, but also displayed through his life upon earth, displayed through his death on the cross, displayed through his resurrection, displayed to us and poured out in our hearts. It is in your name I pray these things. Amen. 
Christmas is a, is a focus on love. It is God's greatest love story. It's God doing what he has promised to do. God has always been love. God has never not to been love. His love never fails, and he loves the whole world. And he showed his love toward us in sending his son to die in our place. I want to go back through this text and just walk through it a little bit and pull out some truths that we need to grasp and that we need to understand about the love of God. So I want to read the first three verses again, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have been justified, this is an accomplished act, something that has been completed. It means to be declared not guilty by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace. We have peace with God. We have grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have a a hope that is coming more than that. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Some amazing truths about the love of God. And the first of them, I would just want, if you're taking notes, this would be a good place to start, is that we should be a little surprised at how much God loves us because God's love is undeserved. God's love is unwarranted. God's love is not earned. Many of you know I have a son and two daughters, and now they have spouses, and most of them have kids. Um, But uh, I, I was talking to one of my daughters not too long ago, and I just said, well, Danny just had her birthday. And I said, Danny, just... Just want to let you know I love you. And she looks at me, she, or she doesn't look to me. This was long distance. She's in Knoxville. But her reply was, well, how could you not? <laughs> now, uh, we, we have, we have, if, if you have children, you, you will understand that, having raised kids. But sometimes we feel like, well, yeah. I mean, how could you not love us? We, we, are, we are kind. We're good. We're good as we can be. We're basically good people, and that's kind of the sentiment of the world. When God says he loves us, our default mentality is, well, yeah, how could you not? And yet, when we see the reality of who we are separated from God, when we see the reality of who God is and his purity and his righteousness and his holiness, we really need to be asking the question, wow. When he says he loves us, we say, wow. How could you? How could it even be possible? How are we described in this passage of Scripture? Now, I just read the first three verses. Let's go a little bit further, and I'm going to confuse them things back a little bit. Let's go a little bit further. Romans chapter 5, picking up where we left off, verse 4. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, as I read these next few verses, I want you to pull out what the us is in this. What are the adjectives that describe you and the adjectives that describe me? For while we were still, you can say it out loud, I give you permission. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love toward us. And that while we were still 
sinners Christ died for us. Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, is there... For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we now have the ministry of reconciliation. The words that I pull out of this passage, or the words that are here, are weak. He died for the ungodly. We are sinners, and we're enemies of his. And so the first point I want us to grasp is that God's love is undeserved. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God is really God being at peace with us. The Bible says God hates sin. You remember that. Romans chapter, I mean Romans, Psalm 7 declares that God hates the wicked every day. Because of our sinfulness, we were separated from a pure and loving and holy righteous creator. As by one man sin entered the world, so death has passed on to all, for all have sinned. We know the consequence of what it means. What we don't know, though, what we, what we don't often enough recognize is how unlovely we actually are until God invades our life. Until he pours his love out on us undeservedly. It's what grace is. It's this grace in which we stand. And so how powerful is the love of God? What does it bring to pass? And that's the second point on your outline. God's love is powerful. It's displayed at Christmas as a babe in a manger. And definitely don't lose sight of that. But remember that this babe came to live righteously which we could not do. This babe came to die in our place, the Christ, the Messiah one, a substitution for our sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This babe came so that we could be justified, so that we could be declared not guilty. He brought peace with God, the grace in which we stand, and he has reconciled us to God. And not only is that an accomplished fact for those who have come to him and have been regenerated by his Holy Spirit, but there is this ongoing presence, this deposit of the Holy Spirit within us by which he enables us to be saved on a daily basis. You do understand salvation has three tenses. I was saved, I am saved, I will be saved. I was saved from the power of sin. I can be saved, our presence of, I was saved from sin's control over my life. Now I'm saved to walk in newness of life. And I will be at one point saved even from the presence of sin in glory. Important that we understand the demonstration of the love of God. And I talk to people all the time who need to be reminded that God loves them. The love of God can break a heart and soften a heart. The love of God can redeem the most vile and the most wicked. The love of God moves and works in people. And yet, sometimes, you guys ever get in an argument and, and someone say to you, well, if you loved me, you would, I don't know what, do the dishes, take out the trash? Yeah. If you loved me, you would, and you can fill in the blank. How legitimate is that? <laughs> You understand that is motivated by a need, maybe a selfish need, maybe not. I don't want to get into every 
one of those conversations. But the demonstration of God's love was pure and is pure and is sacrificial, costing him. And this love he has poured out upon us into our hearts. Romans chapter 5. We live in a day when there's so much unfaithfulness. We live in a day when it's hard to know that people will actually do what they say they're going to do, that they're going to keep their promises, that they're going to keep their vows. We live in a day when a lot of husbands are unfaithful to their wives and a lot of wives are unfaithful to their husbands. Where a lot of children are unfaithful to the principles that they have been raised by and taught by their parents. And a lot of parents are unfaithful to provide for the children the things that they need. We live in a day when a lot of employers and those who supervise people don't keep their word to the ones that they supervise. And a lot of employees obviously don't keep their responsibilities and aren't faithful to those who employ them. And also, let's be clear, as Christians, there's a lot of times we're unfaithful to God. So a lot of times when we do not obey His commands, when we don't walk in communion with Him. But I want you to know that our salvation, our lives, the faith in which we stand is all dependent upon God's faithfulness to us. When mankind is faithless, God is faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God. He is the faithful God. Deuteronomy, Isaiah, faithfulness, I love this. Faithfulness is the belt around God's waist. It's that which holds all things together. Psalm 36, 5, thy faithfulness reaches to the heavens, reaches to the clouds. And of course, great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. There's a lot of fickleness in feelings. There's a lot of times when we have to be reassured of someone's love toward us. But I want you to get in your heads the truth of God's word that does not change. God loves you unfailingly, faithfully, even though you do not deserve it, even though you have not earned it, even though you cannot keep it. God's love is formed and shaped by his character. God is love. And we can only love him because he first loved us. Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us that he is faithful. He that promises. God always keeps his promises. And his love, because it's his character, it does not waver. God's love endures. By the way, let me just mention something to you. In in verse 3, it says God's love is poured out in our hearts. Or there, there are grace is poured out in our hearts. There's, a, there's a, a component to this where we need to understand that the statement that God is love is true and that this is simply objective truth. God is faithful. God is true. God is righteous. God is kind. God has made us to stand in his grace. He has poured out his love upon us. But then there's a subjective component of it. There's the personal component of it. It's poured out in our hearts. It moves from just what we profess to be true, what we know is a propositional statement, and it becomes an intimate communication. He says that he, he, he gives us the spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. When we come to him in repentance and faith, our hearts become his home. He takes up residence within us. 
And his spirit bears witness with our spirit. I'd love to take the time, but I'm not going to this morning, to take you to Romans chapter 8. We know that we're the sons of God by his spirit who indwells us, by his spirit who leads us. If you follow him, it's because you're the, a, a child of God. If he leads you, it's because you are a child of God. And so his spirit comes to indwell us and comes to live within us. And one of the things that it does is he, continue, that he does, is he continually affirms to us God's amazing love toward us. I will tell you, it's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you all that I love Suzanne. That's my wife, by the way, in case you're wondering. It's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you all that I love Suzanne. And I do, by the way, in case there's any doubt. I love Suzanne. But it is something completely different for me to go to Suzanne and look in her eyes and tell her, Hun, I love you. And it is something even more for me to look into her eyes, tell her I love her, and then walk into the kitchen and do the dishes. She's got this little plaque that says, I like hugs and I like kisses, but what I love is help with the dishes. And so I know what her love language is. All right. But, but, but can I tell you, that I want you to know experientially and subjectively that God loves you. There are times when he declares it. He declared it on the cross. There are times when he declares it. He declared it in the manger when Christ was born. And those declarations are not false. They are true and they are unerring. But I want you to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you remind you today that you are the recipient of God's love and his love doesn't waver. God's love endures. That's the third thing I want you to remember. We talked about the faithfulness of God, how he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, how that his love flows from his own character, how that he has saved us through his son. We have been justified and he's given us peace with him. He has declared his love. By this has God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he goes on to say, having been saved, how much more shall we be being saved by his life that that dwells within us he continues to live his holy spirit lives within us and his love is poured out afresh on us new every day paul writes in philippians and he reminds them and he, he tells what tells them what he is sure of i am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Even in our own passage, back up in verse 2, we have attained access, access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Have you ever known love to falter or love to fade? A lot of times we mistake what love is, and in this day and age it's easy. And frankly, Scott, our 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 pastor of biblical counseling myself those of you who minister to people you will know that there are people who will come to you from time to time and simply say i just don't love him anymore i just don't love her anymore i used to love them but i don't love them now and the idea here is that there was a time when there was some sort of infatuation there was a time when there was this warmth and this flame this feeling rose but now because of circumstances because mankind are unfaithful because of our own failings for a variety of different reasons, whatever the reason that brings you to the point, there are people who say, well, love just came to an end. A few things that you need to know about that. The love that the Bible teaches is a love that does not end. It's a love that is a choice and a decision. 
It can bring about an emotion and a feeling, but it is a love that follows, not a love that leads. You understand what I mean? It is. And so it's important to grasp that, but it's based upon the love of God which never ends. It is the love of God which is declared to us, displayed to us, and continually poured out upon us. And the good thing about that, or another good thing about that, is that God's love is vast, it's big. It's able to bring us from hopelessness to hope, from light to darkness. It's able to bring us from loneliness to the the comfort of communion with God. It's able to bring us from cowardice to bravery. It's able to bring us from waywardness to, to, to being steadfast and circumspect in our walk and in our life. We have peace with God. We stand in grace. We have the hope of glory. And God's love is without bounds. God's love is immeasurable. God's love is vast. That's the fourth point on your outline. You can choose which word you want to use, whether it's vast or immeasurable or, or, or limitless. God's love is great. Seeking not to grasp the equality the Son had with the Father, He humbled Himself. He emptied Himself. And he came to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh. How great is the love of God. How sacrificial is the love of God. Displayed through Christ on the cross. Displayed through the many expressions of his truth that he has preserved for us and written to us. The love that he has poured out upon us. Romans chapter 8 probably describes it best. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How much does he love us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anything bigger than the love of Christ? Anything more powerful than the love of Christ? Anything that can break that love toward us? No. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Shall famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to remind you just a few things. That God doesn't have to love you because of anything you've done. He loves us because of who He is. His love is undeserved. And this love is powerful. This love has brought about our salvation, our regeneration, our life in Christ. And this love endures. It does not fail. It continues, and it will continue through every experience of your life. And it is immeasurable. His love is sufficient for every circumstance and every situation that you face, every need that you have, every celebration you enjoy. His love is immeasurable. 
It's amazing how much he loved us. How much, but what does this have to do with Christmas? 1 John chapter 4 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Get this now. And I know I'm talking fast, but listen. In this the love of God was made manifest to us, was shown to us, was displayed in us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Christmas is a declaration of God's love. But listen, keep going. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I don't know what your teenage years were like. I know what mine <laughs> were like, and I was greatly blessed. There's always this awkwardness as a young person when you're kind of in relationships and someone says, well, I love you. And the thing is, are you supposed to answer that? There was this whole chapter in this booklet. It's a booklet, not a whole book that I have in the office that says, all right, men, how should you reply when your wife says, or your, your fiancé or your girlfriend says, I love you, what are, what are the most awkward replies you've gotten to that, or, or how should you reply to convey your love? And they interviewed women, and one of the, 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 the most unwelcome response, can you imagine what the most unwelcome responses were? You picture this, she looks at him and says, oh, I love you, and he says, thank you kind of unfulfilling isn't it oh I love you um um okay <laughs> and there's this whole list of things I guess the only point I'm trying to make here is there, there comes a time when the declaration of love demands a response you understand what I'm saying when there is someone who declares their love toward you, it's not something that you can simply just brush off or be at the apathetic toward. There has to be a response to a declaration of love, and God's love demands a response. If you're here and you have not somehow known or experienced or embraced the reality of God's love in your life, through coming to know Him as Savior and Lord, God's love demands a response is the fifth point on your outline. If, you're, if you've never come to embrace the love of Christ, and this is God's love shown toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it's not so much that we love God, but that he first loved us, and he came to gave his son so that we might have life. And if we respond to him in repentance and faith, then that love relationship begins. And it's saying yes to God. And just like in a committed marriage relationship, it is saying no to everyone else and everything else that demands that would demand or call for any higher affection than the love we have for Christ. God's love demands a response, and it is my prayer that you will love him in response. We can only love him because he first loved us, but do we? Are you in that relationship with him? If you don't, then if you haven't, then don't pass this by. But I do want you to declare the the depth of love, not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
And so I pray that today you will be comforted and assured this Christmas season of the unending love God has for you. I pray that you will recognize how precious you are and what price he paid that you might know him, that he might forgive you, that he might welcome you as one who has been justified in his son. He wants you to know his son so that you can have an eternal relationship with him if you have not. But I pray that whatever you're experiencing, you'll be wrapped up in the love of God. And it all comes through the expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful name. God saves. God who saves. Jesus, Joshua, Yahweh, the Lord who saves. And I pray that it's, as you experience the love of Christ, that you will display that love to those around us. People need to know the love of God. Father, thank you for the time that we have spent just kind of skimming the importance of the truths that you've given us in Romans chapter 5. Thank you for the simple reminder of your love and your graciousness and your kindness to us. Thank you that you have, even though we have not deserved it, you have justified us and declared us not guilty in your son. Thank you that he was our propitiation, that he paid the penalty for our sin, that we might be called the sons of God, that we might have peace with the Father. Thank you for the grace in which we stand and for the love in which you have poured out in our hearts through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that the overwhelming theme of our life during this Christmas season will be the love of God. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.